On this show, we talk about a shocking leak out of the world of Google, Nintendo forcing an awesome project to go away, Spotify having a crap load of listeners, and Chris has some really obvious news. No, really, it's really, really obvious. Plus, SP's away, so Chris and I'll make this an Android cast. This and more in this week's show. I'm SP from Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show about the general Marvel comic universe, part of the Guinea Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other hilarious and fun geeky shows at guineageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunageek.com show. Here, we're a bunch of geeks talking about geeky things. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven. But what if I'm in the mood for a T-Swift story? Chris. I've heard the X is going to give it to you. And SP. That's how we roll on Gonna Geek on Monday night. We get crazy! Gunna Geek Productions presents the official GunnaGeek.com show. Welcome to episode 285 of the official GunnaGeek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew and I am pleased to say that Chris Farrell has returned from last week. I'm here to be the poor man's Stargate pioneer tonight. Well, it's funny that you say that you have this poor man's Stargate Pioneer here because I've been working on my Stargate Pioneer impression, and here it is right now. Steven, you're the worst. With the gap, by the way. The gap was exactly intentional. I thought I nailed it. It's pretty spot on. I mean, I'm on board with this. I mean, I've I've heard him say that numerous times in pre- and post-shows. <laughs> this is something that if you view the show live... You occasionally get to witness as the credits roll. That's true. But yes, we are Stargate Pioneer list this week. We're very sad about that. We're heartbroken, but that means that it's the all Android cast today, right? Android buddy. Yes, it is the all Android cast. We can't call it like all about Android because someone else has already taken that, but it's the all Android gonna geek cast. Yeah. Yeah. I just wish that we had a special bump for being pixel buddies. Look at that, it's a pixel too. That makes us pixel buddies for life. Some of the music heard was by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Uh, yes, by the way, that there was us filling the space that would usually be Stargate Pioneer's introduction and his comments and whatnot. So we're not behind schedule. We're, we're right on time, but that was just us using that space to serve ourselves, basically. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, well, we can't. It's not like we would be hiding the fact that SP is at a secret SNASA conference where they're planning how to hide the moon from us or anything like that. Nothing like that would ever happen. You know what? I was going to say, I thought Suncast was going to that, but I forgot it's all to hide Suncast. It's all an elaborate ploy for that because he is on the secret SNASA moon base. Well, Suncast is currently at the White House briefing the cabinet about the future of the secret moon and Mars bases that SNASA has been putting up. So just keep your eyes on Twitter. You'll probably see something here in a couple hours about the secret bases. Well, I guess on that very confusing note, we should probably move on to the news because I'm thoroughly, thoroughly confused. Are we going to talk about Android?
All right, Chris Farrell, I think we should kick off this Android cast with some sort of Android related news. How do you feel about that? Well, it's probably a good idea for claiming ourselves to be an Android cast to actually talk about Android and hardware that Android runs on. Okay, fine. Uh, today, I am going to kick us off by talking about something that's going to shock most people who have ever followed Google products. That's right. For those of you not familiar, Google is the one that makes the Pixel, hence the Pixel 2 bump that we just played a minute ago. Well, this is the shocking part. There has been a leak with potential Google <gasps> Pixel products. I know. First time, right? No, that's not. This has never happened before. Well, this is the newest leak is all about the Google Pixel 3a. If you're not familiar with the Pixel 3a, it is basically the dumbed down, the simpler version that has been rumored for a while of the Google Pixel 3. Yes, this has been rumored for a while that there's going to be a whole new Pixel product coming and it's going to be a Pixel 3 Lite essentially called the 3a. And guess what? There is a leaked render shared by Evan Blass, who does indeed have some some credible history with leaks and it is going to be available in a new barely purple color is what it appears to be called that's right google has weird naming structures but yes it looks like it's going to be offered in a purple edition called barely purple chris farrell how do you feel about being barely clothed i mean barely purple this is just on par with the naming convention has because don't they have something like sort of pink is one of their current colors and things like that because they're they're very lightly tinted these colors and let's be honest when it comes to phone colors 99.9 percent .9 of us are putting them in a case so we never notice so they're a cool thing when you go and buy it you go hey my phone's got this cool looking color and then you kind of forget what color your phone is because you've got a case on it i was just gonna say my my phone you can see the front that's where you see the color you can see a little bit of the color around the fingerprint reader. Aside from that, I did go to a solid case. I will yep, say same that here. for a while I was sporting specifically clear cases because I hated that fact. Like my Moto X totally had a clear case. My Pixel original had a clear case. For a long time, my Pixel 2 had a clear case. And then I just got tired of seeing all of the junk that gets stuck under the case. So I ended up, uh, I, I caved. I went all black. I mean, if you want to enjoy the color of your phone, you can carry your phone all natural and live dangerously like JS used to and not have a case. Let's also remember that JS broke his phone once every three months, it seemed like, because no case. That's true. It's kind of like why we wear clothes, because otherwise, if we don't wear clothes, we get scratch marks and other bruises all over us because all of the ladies like to get on top of you and me. And there's just so much, so much of that happening. I think that's... That's why we wear clothes. Yes, that's it exactly because we just ooze raw animal <laughs> sexuality and ladies love it. <laughs> that is absolutely the case. That is why we do a geek centric podcast that up until like 150 episodes, you never even saw us. We couldn't let them see us on screen because we were afraid of what would happen because spoiler alert, the first 150 podcasts, they're audio only. We podcast naked. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, I think they've cleaned up the throw up. I think they've got it all cleaned up. It's all cleaned up and they're ready to continue on with the show. 
Ow. <laughs> Ow. Well, let's go on to your news point here. What's going on in the world of Nintendo and Mario ports? Is this like like a seaport? Is that what this is about? Yeah, it is. Steven made me sad, so it's only fair we go on to a sadder story here. So put yourselves back in time. Remember the early PC days? You probably played some games on Apple II's and Commodore 64 PCs. So what's the story here? There is a modder by the name of Zero Page who for the last seven years has been working on developing a port of Super Mario Brothers to run on a Commodore 64. So it sounds really cool. From a tech standpoint, from a geek standpoint, like, oh, this is awesome. It's not easy to do. Why is that the case? Because the processor in a Commodore 64 is only about 57% as powerful as the Nintendo Entertainment System's processor. And there are complications when it comes to doing side-scrolling effects on the Commodore 64. However, Zero Page did get it figured out. He posted online just to get slapped with a DMCA takedown from Nintendo shortly after he posted seven years worth of work online. This was posted by the PDX Commodore Club that's at C64 Club on Twitter. They said, good times. Due to a DMCA takedown notice, we had to remove the Super Mario Brothers 64 download from our website blog from four days ago. Hopefully everyone enjoys the Commodore 64 game that was able to snag it. Now, this should surprise no one. Nintendo aggressively defends their trademarks and intellectual property. I'm not saying they were not within their rights to say, hey, you can't make a Commodore 64 port of Mario. But at the same time, I can also be like, it's a cool little fan project and it's done out of love for it. The guy's not trying to make any money. He's been working on it for seven years. And when he gets done, you issue the takedown and I get that you can do it. It just sucks. I really wish Nintendo had been like, hey, we normally don't condone these kind of things, but we're going to partner with them and say, hey, this is a really cool effort. The fact that it's going to run on a Commodore 64, it's not the same as someone, say, porting it to run on their PC and playing a ROM on their PC or on their PlayStation or something like that. This is a fan-made effort to make a game that never should work on a Commodore 64 work on the Commodore 64. And like I said, there's not a huge homebrew crew for this. So I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed that Nintendo issued the takedown notice because Mario is a cash cow. They've got to defend it. I just wish they would have let this one go or would have thrown a little weight behind it. Like, hey, this is cool. We salute the fact that you did this. Instead, it's another one of those moments where Nintendo shuts something down. A lot of fans just kind of collectively go, oh, man. And I'm one of those fans. Well, you know, there is obviously different layers of lawsuits and things like that. And and I agree. I think they definitely had to go after this because if they didn't go after it, then there's all sorts of possible legal recourse like Okay, well, you said you gave them a pass. Why don't you give other people a pass? Things like that. But it would be really interesting to see, like, if this actually went to court, them trying to claim that they were out money because of it. It would be like, we lost sales because it's on a Commodore 64. I think it'd be really fun to see them try to prove it. I don't think it matters whether they're out money. It's their intellectual and copywritten work that is being adapted. Like, it's not like the guy did a mock-out to make it look different than Mario. It looks exactly like Super Mario Brothers. Like there's a, you can catch a couple different YouTube videos that, that was posted on this website and various others showing the gameplay and the progress as he did it. And it was meant to be a one-to-one faithful replica of Super Mario Brothers that plays in a Commodore 64. Yeah, I, and again, I'm not disagreeing. I, I definitely think that they had had to do this and that they were required to do it from a legal standpoint. But I agree. It's completely 
disappointing, but yeah. Oh, well. It, it just kind of echoes the stuff we've seen in the past. Like, remember, Let's Play videos are some of the most popular things on YouTube. There's a lot of people like to watch their favorite gamers play, be it uh, Super Mario Brothers games or Mario Maker or Fortnite or anything like that. And at one point, people are able to monetize those videos, get a little bit of a cut of the action. And for a while, Nintendo was issuing DMCA takedowns on these videos and or monetizing them themselves. So if you're a person who plays Let's Play games and you played Nintendo games, you made not one red cent from the games you were playing. Whereas if you were playing, say, GTA or Halo, games that are owned by Sony and Microsoft, it was, oh, no big deal. Monetize it because it was basically free advertising for their games. So it's just not one of those things that in the modern Internet of things, people go, man, Nintendo, what are you doing? I don't get it. You know, I will say this, that I look forward to seeing what somebody does with this, because you can't help but think that someone's going to go and try to just push those boundaries, whether it is taking it and publishing it from a country that there's virtually no legal recourse or they just modify enough elements. I think it'll be interesting to see because I I think that I think there's there's going to be a future with this still. I don't think that it's over. Let's be honest. If you want this game, it was already out on the Internet. So I'm sure there's a bunch of people who feel they're doing the right thing by hosting it in various different places. So if you were a Commodore 64 enthusiast, I'm sure you could look up Commodore 64 Mario Brothers and find a downloadable executable to run on your Commodore 64. The door has already opened. You can't shut the door once it's happened. It's just Nintendo will continue to issue DMCA takedowns for any place that hosts it. So if you're an enthusiast and you want it, I'm sure you can find it. Just bear in mind that Nintendo is enforcing their trademark and copyright on this material. So you run a risk if you download this of getting a fun letter in the mail from Nintendo. Fun fact, Commodore 64 is still newer than some of the uh, tech that seems to be used by some of the big name streaming video podcasts out there. Yeah, that was a shot. What was it? A poor attempt at a shot. Uh, you know, I think you know who I'm talking about, but moving on, uh, let's talk a little bit about Spotify. I don't know if you're familiar with Spotify. Chris Farrell, are you familiar with Spotify? I know what it is. I had a free trial for a month and I decided I didn't particularly care for it and I never signed up again. Oh. But yes, I am familiar with Spotify. I get my music from Google Play Music right now, though. I actually did sign up for Spotify again. Uh, <gasps> yeah, I did. But I and I guess I can be proud to know that I am one proud. of the more than 100 million users worldwide that are now paying for Spotify premium. Yes, the company announced that they reached this milestone by growing paid subscribers nearly 32% year on year. This, of course, the growth includes free subscribers, but Spotify may have 100 million users that are paying for premium but they also actually have a total of 217 million monthly active users worldwide. So yes, those differences is 217 million users active worldwide versus the 100 million paid users. So why is this news? Well, this is because this actually globally puts Spotify way higher than anybody else and also much higher than Apple Music, which is its closest competitor, apparently, in the streaming music game. 
Apple had 50 million paid users worldwide, apparently, at the beginning of April. But it is worth noting that even though Spotify is basically doubling Apple's user paid user base worldwide, that Apple does do a lot better in the U.S. versus Spotify. And when I say a lot, I mean Apple has 28 million subscribers, apparently, in the U.S. versus Spotify's 26 million in the U.S. In any case, it's interesting because Spotify does expect to have uh, around 222 to 228 million users by the end of the quarter, and they are continuing to grow that paid flat platform. This is insane. 100 million people paying one service for Spotify Premium, and we look back just at just not that long ago where we had Napster and other things and people were outraged that they couldn't download illegally for free music anymore. And now look at this massive amount of people willing to pay. And I think it also kind of puts into perspective, if those of you who aren't familiar with it, Spotify has been making some purchases to do with podcasting, getting into there and spending lots of money. And this really frames how they have that cash pool. One thing to consider is how much the market when it comes to internet-based music has changed. Let's go back to high school days for Chris. Let's go back to 2000 through 2002 timeframe. Let's go there when I was like a junior in high school. The big thing there was if you wanted to buy music online, you could buy it like 99 cents a track on iTunes, or you could buy a full album for something between $9 to $13 a piece, or you could steal it via a variety of different methods, be it Napster, Kazaa, trading CDs and ripping them with friends. The simple fact of the matter was it was not exactly the easiest way to go and get your music just by buying it all individually because it's cheaper just to buy CDs. Fast forward a few years, people are still pirating stuff, but you start to get these all-you-can-eat methods of music like we've seen with Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play Music, uh, Amazon's music services, things like that, where it's pay a flat fee per month you get access to our entire library. So it's not a matter of I've got to go and buy this CD because I like three tracks on it. And then this other CD, it's 10 bucks a month. All you can eat. You can take and listen to whatever music you want. And it's convenient. That That's the big thing. It's the convenience factor that comes into play with these music subscription services. I don't have to remember, oh, did this CD from my favorite band come out? No, it learns my tastes. I load the front page of my app and it goes, hey, this album dropped. I go, great. I want to listen to it and toss it into a mix. So I kind of like how this has shifted. And for someone who generally likes very specific genres of music, these apps and things help me find stuff I wouldn't normally like because they start suggesting other artists or other albums. I'm like, okay, this is cool. Kind of spread out what I like a little bit. Now, I understand people who still prefer the physical media. Makes perfect sense. I'm with you on a lot of things. But when it comes to my music and stuff, the convenience trumps the fact that I could pick up a CD off my shelf anytime I want and put it in my CD player. This is, I can be anywhere and push play on my phone and start listening immediately. Yes, the quality may, be, may not be quite as good. Yes, it costs me internet costs for connecting the network, but it's convenient. I can have it wherever I want, and there's something to be said for that. You know, I will say this, that I was not somebody that was paying for streaming services. In the chat, we actually have Albert Tim saying, I don't subscribe to any streaming music services. I just rip my CDs slash LPs and listen to those and listen to local FM classic rock station in my vehicle. I actually was like that. I had a lot of legal digital music on my computer because of the fact that I had a, a, quite a vast library of the music that I listened to between my CDs, my wife's CDs, 
and other, you know, CDs that I was gifted along the way. However, uh, where the real big turning point for me was things like smart speakers or Google Chrome audio. I had that going for a little while. Really, the convenience factor that wasn't easy to do without a whole bunch of other infrastructure and, you know, skills or weird servers before there was even smart devices like I had, you know, I tried to go up that avenue with other options and it just was inconvenient versus paying for a subscription and being able to just play it on my home audio system, whatever it was that I had by just saying play, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I will say that it definitely has increased even more so since I did get really into the echo ecosystem and I've got multiple echoes now and I do group audio. It has a lot more value to me for sure. And that's where it was really the turning point for me. I, I'm happy to see that they're continuing to grow because while I did personally like the Google music offer better Google music and Google play music has just been such a weird situation over the, the last few years. I, I have more trust in Spotify and I'm happy to see it looks like they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And I'm happy that globally they're doing better than Apple because I do. And that's not a shot against Apple. I have fear about sort of Apple's track record with sort of a closed ecosystem. And that that's my concern. So I'm really happy to see this. And I am probably going to continue to be a Spotify subscriber. I will fully admit that I did re-sign up when they were offering a free Google Home Mini. <laughs> and that did get me to sign back up. I was actually really close to paying anyways at that point. The only other one that actually had me a little bit interested was the Amazon Prime Music. They're not doing a bad job over there, at least in Canada. But I don't know. Spotify seems to be doing pretty well. Plus, yeah. Plus, it's just Spotify and it's got Spotify podcasts on it, which is kind of nice, too. It just really depends on what your smart speakers are that might point you towards that. I have both in my house, but I've leaned more towards using my Google devices for media consumption and Google Play Music just hooks in right out of the box. So it's a lot easier and things like that. And also the thing I like on Google Play Music also is there's no ads on YouTube now. And I forgot how much I dislike ads on YouTube until I forgot to log in on one of my web browsers and start getting ads. It was like, what the hell is this? This is BS. I'm not supposed to get ads. And then promptly log back in and went, oh yeah, that's what this is. Because <laughs> I regularly fall down the YouTube rabbit hole. So that's just another nice perk of Google Play Music slash YouTube music because they're sort of the same service, but they're not. Uh, I'm assuming they're going to phase out Google Play Music at some point and push us all over to YouTube music, which is arguably the same thing, just a different app. Yeah, that'll that'll be interesting. And that's another example of one of the reasons why I'm happier to give my money to Spotify than Google, just because Google's all over the place. And if I'm well, going to build playlists on that, yeah. they did. They've already said supposedly people have already done it. You can import all of your playlists and things like that out of Google Play Music directly. So you really don't lose anything. You're just in a different app this time. You can. What about the next time they change it? Well, I mean, that's the thing. They know if they do that, they'll lose people in that regard. <laughs> exactly. All right, well, let's move on to some more obvious news. Chris Farrell, why is this so obvious? Obvious news. You guys might have heard there was a little movie that hit theaters this weekend. It was called Avengers Endgame. What, the 21st, 22nd movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? It is a wrap-up 
of everything that's been established since the 2008 Iron Man movie, and it broke one metric crap ton of records this opening weekend. We're going to run down a few of them, but the biggest one is the mind-boggling estimate of the $1.2 billion worldwide they took opening weekend. $350 million in North America, which was nearly $100 million higher than the previous record set by Infinity War, and the bigger point, $330 million five-day opening in China. So yes, we talked about in the past how Star Wars didn't seem to catch on in China. Doesn't seem to be a problem for the superhero movies. Uh, Endgame brought in bank everywhere. And there are some people that are complaining about that saying, oh, it's a sign that cinema is dying. Don't listen to them. If you like the movie, like the movie. Don't let them poop all over something you like. But those were the biggest of the records. We've got a bunch more records they broke down on the, over at the rap.com. was going to go through a few of them. There were 12 advanced ticket sales records. Over the past few weeks, sites like Fandango and Adam Tickets reported Endgame became their all-time highest pre-sellers and record, record ticket sales in the first week and 24 hours availability. AMC and Regal announced similar new records on their internal ticketing system, prompting thousands of new screen times to be created in theaters nationwide. It was not unheard of to look up the movie listings at a theater and have it be all Endgame all day long. And I will say this personally, I went Thursday night at 6 p.m. to catch it the first time. There were maybe two open seats in the theater. I went on Saturday with one of my friends who was in town. We tried to go to the two o'clock, showed up at 1.15. They were sold out, went to the three o'clock, and there were maybe a dozen open seats in there. So the, the hype is real, and I wish I had ordered ahead in that case. Yeah, I have to say that um, last week after the show, for those of you who watch live, you'll know this, but for those of you who didn't watch live, uh, I was saying like I really had to figure out when I was going to go and I was looking at show listings and times and things like that and I think that the movie theater one of the movie theaters actually opened up a couple uh, theaters and they must have just had them held but a couple days before because I think it was on uh, it was on the Tuesday that all of a sudden I saw quite a few tickets open like be available for two different show times on the Friday. And I, I, I shortly after I saw that, I ended up seeing those theaters start to fill up and whatnot. So I think they did release it. So I just happened to get in at the right time and I did it. I was able to go on Friday and I'm happy to have actually been a part of that because let's be honest, I don't think we're going to see this sort of draw in a very long time. I don't think we're going to we're going to see this for a very, very long time. Not from Marvel, not from anybody under the Disney banner. I, I think that your news last week about Lion King rivaling this is completely wrong. I don't think Lion King is going to stand up when it's all said done, especially as you go through some of these other records. For instance, there's 44 opening weekend records broken. They broke all the records in North America and China. They set opening weekend records in 42 other markets that included topping $61 million in the UK, where uh, James Bond film Spectre had come in just slightly under that. Other markets where they set records include France, Australia, South Korea, Argentina, Brazil, and Mexico. Out of the, those are just a selection of the 44 opening weekend records they broke this weekend. Yes, 44. It's insane. Let me ask you this. So you went twice. Both times, did you go 2D or did you go 3D, one of them? I only went 2D because it's, for my case, it's one of those, it's a post 3D conversion. I went, don't care. Yeah, I only went to 3D because of the reason that I just mentioned was there was availability. Mm -hmm. So I was fair, like, yeah, fair. 
but I had no intention to go. Actually, it was just just a matter of uh, being there. And uh, yeah, we're not going to really talk about it because we're going to keep spoiler free here. But I will just go ahead and say this. The part where Chris Farrell showed up was completely unexpected. I couldn't believe that. And wow, there was another Steven, stone. I am inevitable. There was another I am inevitable. <laughs> there was another stone that Chris brought. That's that's what it was. It was the kidney mm. stone. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, before we wrap up this episode, let's get to our extra extra section here. This is the part where we like to just high level talk about something fairly recent. And this one is one that appeases Chris Farrell and I. So of course we're going to talk about this because this is one that usually Stargate Pioneer would argue with us on. And if he's not here, let's go ahead and say it. Even though we know he's watching streaming live right now and now he's shut off. Uh, the Google Chrome update of recent is finally finally allowing dark mode on windows 10 yes dark mode's been a thing for a while a lot of people are really liking dark mode i know chris farrell and i both like dark mode and we talked a long time ago about how there's massive battery benefits by having dark mode enabled huge huge benefits in fact google has previously come out and said they screwed up by going to that very light design because it really was hard to deal with battery life well google Back in March, released version 73 that brought a dark mode desktop wise as a Mac OS exclusive. However, I know, right? However, it does look like there is now an option to bring that over to Windows 10 with the version 74 that's just started to roll out. Now, how do you do that, Chris Farrell? Well, you're not going to see a toggle in there. Apparently, the way dark mode is going to work is if you're using Windows 10, you're going to have to go into your system-wide Windows 10 settings in order to change it. So turn your Windows 10 to dark mode, and then apparently you will see that happen. You have to go under settings, personalization, colors within Windows 10, and enable it, and in Apparently, this will eventually, <laughs> once the update hits your computer, enable dark mode on the Chrome. I have no idea why they couldn't just add a damn toggle in there and have this as an option. Like, make it default where if Windows 10 is running dark mode, show dark mode. And then also have a manual toggle override. This is ridiculous. Google, these are the stupid decisions that you make that are absolutely mind-blowing, and people go, why the hell are you doing this? Come on, Google. Use a toggle within the app because some people don't want to enable it for their whole system just to get it on the browser because a lot of times they just want it on their browser because when they got the lights off, because they're sitting there in the dark doing the thing that they do when they're home alone and it's dark, they just want it just for the browser. Or you could just download an extension for Chrome that forces it into a pseudo dark mode. Oh, that's right. I forgot. That's been an option for a very, very long time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's cool that they're baking in a native dark mode because that's a thing that more and more people want. And as we've talked about before, and for the purposes of cell phones with OLED to screens, they're actually battery saving measures having a dark mode. But it's just weird that it's tied to the Windows settings because while I enjoy dark mode views for things, I don't necessarily want everything in my system on dark mode. I like darker themes, and you'll generally see when you log into one of my Windows machines, 
everything is darker colors, but it's not like the full out dark mode where it's like just dark black on everything. What I've got is like darker shades of gray and stuff like that. So it's not fully blacked out. I, it's interesting in the grand scheme of things, how many people are really going to care about dark mode and Chrome that haven't already figured out a workaround? Yeah, I know you were one of them. I'm running a carbon fiber theme for Chrome that forces everything to be dark grays and blacks. I should probably find out what that's called so that I can add it on mine. What's it called? I don't know. (laughs) That's okay. It's been installed for like six years, so. Oh, well, that's fine. That's fine. Next up in our extra extra here, speaking of Google, let's go ahead and everybody says I'm an Apple hater. Steven, you're an Apple hater. I'll go ahead. It's true. And and poo-poo on Google again, because I just did a second ago. I'll do it again. Yes, Google has admitted that there is trouble selling expensive pixels. Google CEO Ruth Porat has said that they sold fewer Pixel phones due to an industry-wide pressure on high-end phones. Now, Porat didn't specifically say what those pressures were, but he did go on record as saying that there was an industry-wide pressure on high-end phones. Why I wanted to bring this up was actually twofold. Number one was to say that, yes, Google has admitted that the Pixel sales are not where they wanted them to be. But the second part of it was as well, just to sort of support the the points that we've talked about on here, especially I'll, I'll give them credit. Stargate Pioneer has done a really good job of articulating this point. But the fact that there is a lot of reasons to not pay for a high end phone anymore and to go another way. And this seems to be confirmation that the industry is feeling that pressure. So is this, and this is why I want to bring it up, I ask you, Chris Farrell, do you think we've reached that point where they pushed and they pushed and they pushed and we're now pushing back? For most people, probably yes. For people that are tech enthusiasts and things like that, they don't care. They're willing to spend a thousand bucks every six months trading the old phone and whatever the price difference is, pay it. But if you're someone who wants to buy a phone every couple of years or so, or just doesn't want to have to buy cutting edge stuff, there's a lot of people like, yeah, I can stretch my phone out instead of using it for one to two years for two to three years, because let's be honest, what are the big differences between my Pixel 2 and the Pixel 3? A little bit of processor change, they put a notch in it, and the camera is slightly better. Okay, but every app I run right now, I have no problems with. I can use the internet just fine, I can use my Twitter apps, I can use any app I want and it runs almost exactly the same as it does on the Pixel 3 XL. It's the double-edged sword. As the hardware gets better, people are still optimizing the software and things to run better, and we're at a point where there's diminishing returns on upgrading. So, yeah, I kind of get why a lot of people aren't doing it. And even me, who's a tech enthusiast, I'm like, eh, Pixel 3 is cool. Maybe if the Pixel 4 is cool, I'd consider it, but I'm going to stretch it out as far as I can because there's plenty of people I know Besides me, that are still rocking like original pixels or Galaxy S8s and stuff like that with no problem. Yeah, and that's probably the boat that I'm going to be in. Uh, I, I'll say that if I was buying in a few months when it's released, I, I might consider the Pixel 3a. Like, you know, it, it's I'd have to really analyze my priorities, but there's enough check marks there that it would be on my list of considerations. The other thing to consider with the Google hardware is especially with the Pixel 3s and less so with the Pixel 2s, they really hosed the early adopters. And But what I mean by that is if you went and 
you could have got a Pixel 3 for half off two weeks ago because they're running a deal on both Project Find through the Google Store. And they've been running all sorts of crazy sales and stuff. And if you follow any of the Android or the Pixel subreddits over at reddit.com, you'll see people complaining and be like, why did I buy this phone when it first came out? Because I used Google's financing plan to get 100% interest-free financing on it. But then I wait three months and they do this deal where people can buy a phone for less than I currently owe on the phone. What's the point in being an early adopter? So a lot of people have just reached that point where like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to buy at launch because they've seen it with Samsung. They've seen it with Google, but there's a price drop somewhere between three to six months after it comes out, or they'll do some random sale and the price bottoms out and you go, oh, now I don't mind picking up this phone. And that's seriously another thing to consider if you're talking about Android phones. You don't see it happen very much with Apple. There's not much in the way of price drops, but Samsung and Google specifically, wait a few months, you'll see a price jump of some kind, or there'll be some weird promo that runs and you can get a better deal. So don't be punished by being an early adopter. If your phone is dead or dying and you need a new one, buy whatever works best for you. But if you're someone like Steven or I, who's like, we love tech, but our phones work just fine. There's really no reason to be an early adopter. You can just wait. You know, one of the things that I like to think about is the uh, logistics that are in discounting a phone, right? When you think about the way that it's all distributed and like, you know, I, I've worked in uh, cell phone stores and like the retailer actually has to pay the full, you know, retail price that they have. And then if there's a discount, then they get a credit back every month or whatever it is, right? I love to think about the fact that when Google goes and runs a very large discount program, there's all these other parties involved and you i'm sure that that costs them a little bit more money by having to try to go through that whole rigmarole of getting the discounts applied properly down the chains and things like that and i just enjoy that because of the fact that it's like yes you are losing more profit where if you had just sold it to us cheaper and not tried to take as big of a piece of pie we would have bought that pie so i i really i really enjoy thinking about that stuff well, also remember that Google sells the bulk of the pixels through their own web store. So it's a bit easier for them to make these changes and fly. Yes. In the United States, excuse me, in the United States, they have a partnership with Verizon, but I would wager the bulk of their phone purchases come directly from people buying on the Google store. Fine. Whatever you say. Finally, last thing we're going to talk about here is I'll give you some Apple news. For those Apple fans, you'd be like, wait a minute, you said this was no Android cast. I shut off 10 minutes ago. Uh, here's the thing. There's been rumors back and forth about whether or not iPhone would be this year adopting the USB-C charger because we've seen USB-C coming into other products. Which product has it right now on Apple side of things, Chris? Uh, I think one of the iPad Pros does, and it's also on the MacBook line as well. There's no longer the MagSafe charger. It's just a USB port for charging. Right. And so people have been saying, well, Apple's probably going to go there eventually. Well, recently the rumors are kicking up that the next batch of iPhones will not have a USB-C port, but it's looking like there might be some setup to get there because according to a recent blog post, there is likely going to still be light a lightning port on the new version of iPhones, but we might see that the built-in charger will ship with a 18 watt USB-C charger that has a lightning to USB-C cable. Basically, the charger itself will be USB-C, 
there will be a cable to convert that over to lightning. So this might be that stepping stone to f that we have between now and a couple of years from now when they finally adopt the USB-C. I don't know. Do you think it's going to happen on the iPhones, Chris? Oh, eventually it will. But how they're dragging their feet is super annoying because remember, we've talked about on the show before, there's licensing fees that come in. Anyone that makes a lightning plug owes Apple a certain charge every time they make one for licensing purposes. So it's a great way for Apple to continue squeezing some more money out of people. And let's also remember that the Apple cables suck. They fall apart all the time. Talk to people about their lightning cables and after about a year, they end up having to replace them in some way, shape, or form. At least if it was USB-C to USB-C, you could replace it with any USB-C cable. And who gives a care? Who cares what brand it is? I have to say that my USB-C cables that I've owned have been pretty solid. And that includes the ones from my Pixel, my Pixel 2, and some of the really cheap ones that I, I've had. I'm very surprised, actually, because I didn't have faith. I really didn't have faith when I saw them. They reminded me too much of Apple cables. So, well, the plug part of the USB-C seems to hold up a lot better than the lightning plug does. Even I only have a tablet and I don't charge it, but every three or four days and that cable doesn't really leave my house. It sits on one shelf and whenever I want to charge the tablet, I move it over to a, to a corner table and plug it in and without even putting it in a bag or crimping the cable much or anything like that. It's still starting to get starting to show its wear. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so if you want to hear more Apple news, go ahead and head over to Twitter, go to at Stargate Pioneer and tweet him and say, hey, you were missing from going to geek this week. We need more Apple news. Give me some Apple news and he'll go ahead and tweet you back some Apple news. He doesn't know I'm making this commitment for him, but I'm doing it right here and right now. Tweet him at Stargate Pioneer, say I need some Apple news and he'll send you some Apple news. Before we do close up, I want to remind everybody we are part of the Gunna Geek Network. The Gunna Geek Network has some amazing geeky content on it. You should definitely check it out at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. We have a bunch of different geeky podcasts, and I think it's important to note that while there are a lot of geeky podcasts that do center around a TV show or something that usually runs between September and April, we do have a lot of different shows, and many of them don't. So. Check out Gunna Geek Network because if you have not looked at our portfolio and recently, we've had a lot of additions over the last six months and we definitely encourage you to check that out. With that said, I do want to go ahead and say right now that the Starling Tribune is the CW television Arrow fan podcast. Is that how you bill it? Sure. And in the most recent episode, episode 237, titled Lost Canary, the Starling Tribune reporters, SP, Chris, and Michelle review the Arrow Season 7, 18th episode, Lost Canary. If you want to hear that series close up, that's not Starling Tribune, but Arrow close up, you should get on board with the Starling Tribune right now because you know they're going to run till the end of the season. Come back next year as well in September when it's back on and they will wind you down the arrow that makes no sense, but I'm going to say it anyways, they will wind you down the arrow series together. There you go. Makes no sense, but you know what I tried to say there. Maybe, maybe you don't. I think I got it. Just wind me down. Chris Farrell, wind me down for the audio listener. He is literally turning something, trying to wind me down. 
So on that Is it note, working? for episode 285 of the official GunnaGeek.com show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying I did miss SP this week. I'll admit it. I'm Chris Farrelson. I hope SP's having fun with his secret Mars conference. Save us some room in the hidden bunker. And the hotel room next door. He knows what that means. Bye! Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.